Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for September 8th, 2019. Today, Brother Omar brings us a message called Doctrine of the Church, Body of Christ. The members of the Body of Christ include men, women, slave, free, Jew, and Greek. Just because somebody opens up a Bible and speaks and teach, that person is not any better or any greater or any more anointed than anybody else. The roles in the body of Christ and the gifts that each person has received is equally important for the body of Christ. We have made it, unfortunately, in our day, we have this structure where you have a pastor who is the man of God in the house. That is an actual phrase. He's the man of God, okay, in this house. He's the only man of God in this house, apparently. There's nobody else. And then everybody else is in submission to this one person that is not the biblical model. The Brother Omar reminds us that the church is above all things the body of Christ, his hands, and feet in this world. There is no hierarchy, no pyramid schemes, but a body of equally important members, each gifted and enabled by the Holy Spirit to serve one another in love. So grab your Bible and follow along with us as we explore God's Word here on Followers of the Way. So I'm going to try to finish off the sermon that I intended to preach all at one time, and that didn't pan out, so it turned into three sermons. So today will be the last of the introduction sermons on the series of the Doctrine of the Church. So we've been talking about the Doctrine of the Church, uh, we've been talking about what does it mean? What is the church? What does it mean to be the church, etc.? And we talked a little bit about the word ecclesia and what it meant to them, you know, the concept of an ecclesia as an assembly. And also last time we talked about how the church is the fulfillment of God's eternal plan to have a people. God always wanted to have a people that he could fellowship with, commune with, etc. And his purpose and his plan, which was thwarted when Adam disobeyed, is now fulfilled in the church. The church is God's people. The church is the people whom God fellowships with, is present with, etc. And so today, we're going to talk a little bit about how the church is defined by the Apostle Paul. And the church is many things, but above all things, when you read the New Testament, the church is the body of Christ. Above all of things, the description that the New Testament gives to the church, to the people of God, is that we are the body of Christ. Christ is the head and we are his body. Now, the Apostle Paul is the one that uses this term body the most. And he actually, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, you're going to see the Apostle Paul sort of describe this in detail. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into the one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, 
where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, then where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So the Apostle Paul here uses the illustration of the body. You know, he's using, you know, anatomy. Okay, he's, he's, he's describing a human body. But in doing that, he's using this illustration to convey several concepts. Okay, and the first concept that we get out of this is that the church is an organic entity and not an institution. Okay, the church of Jesus Christ is not an institution. We have made it into an institution, but the way that it was originally and the way that God intends it to be is that the church is an organic body and not an institution. Now, what do I mean by that? Institutions have a hierarchy. They have a top-down structure, right? You have a guy on top, you have some middlemen, and then you have some people on the bottom, which is most of the people. So if you work for a company, you have the employees, which is most of the people, and then you have managers, which are less, and then you have upper management, and eventually you have the CEO, right? So you have a pyramid. Okay, that's not how the church is supposed to be. Now, in our day, we have made the church into that. Okay, so you have the same structure. You have the members, well, you have some, I don't know, leaders, and you have some pastors, and then senior pastor, which is the CEO, okay? And that's how churches are structured today. But if you notice how the Apostle Paul describes it, the way that he describes this is that each member of this body is equally important. And one does not make up the most of the other, but each member together of the body make up the whole body. And so if you go into verse 21, he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body giving the greater honor to the inferior member so that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. So Paul is saying that God so constituted his church in such a way that there may not be hierarchies within the body, but each member, even those that we think are lesser, we're supposed to honor, and those that are more respectable, we give them less honor to balance out the membership of the body because there is an equality in the body of Christ. Nobody here is better. Nobody here is more special. Nobody here deserves more honor or deserves anything else. Everybody is equal in the body of Christ. And so he goes on to say, if one member suffers, all suffer together with it. And if one member is honor, all rejoice together with it. So the hierarchy of the church does not exist. That is taken down completely. In Christ, we only have one supreme authority, and that is the head. 
which is Christ, and every, everybody else relates to Christ equally, okay? So each member of the body, so each member of the church, has a gift from God and a role to play in the body. No member is greater than any other, nor more important than any other. Those members or roles in the body of Christ that attract the most attention are to be treated with modesty, and the lesser members or roles are to be honored to maintain the equality of the individual members of the body and to avoid authoritarian rule. Okay? And so in the body of Christ, in the church, there is a absolute equality. There is no hierarchy. Okay? So... What does that mean in the practical sense? What that means in the practical sense is that just because somebody opens up a Bible and speaks and teach, that person is not any better or any greater or any more anointed than anybody else. The roles in the body of Christ and the gifts that each person has received is equally important for the body of Christ. So we have made it, unfortunately, in our day, we have this structure where you have a pastor who is the man of God in the house. That is an actual phrase. He's the man of God, okay, in this house. He's the only man of God in this house, apparently. There's nobody else. And then everybody else is in submission to this one person. That is not the biblical model. Only, and I'm going to say this, only pagans exert authority forcefully and put people onto submission. Only pagans exert forceful authority and force people onto submission. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and this is what he says to them. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you. But whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." Jesus tells his disciples, now the way that this happened, his disciples are arguing who's going to be greater, who's going to sit next to him uh, in his kingdom and all of that. And Jesus says to them, listen, the Gentiles, the pagans, the Romans that are ruling over you here in Israel, that's how they do things. They lord over each other. They're tyrants over each other. They force people unto submission to them. Let that not be so among you, but if you want to be great... You need to serve. In the kingdom of God, if you want to go up, you have to go down. If you want to be exalted, you need to humble yourself. So in the kingdom of God and in His church, there is no hierarchical authoritarian rule, but all members are equal to one another under Christ, who is the head of the body. Now, growing up where we grew up, this is completely different than what we've seen. And what we have is centuries of tradition that have piled up upon the church. And just the way that we needed a reformation back in the 1600s, we need a reformation today on the church. Because we've built a structure of the church that is not what you see in the New Testament. And so most of these ideas that you see in the Bible, 
are going to be very radical, but they're scriptural. The model that we have today, where you have a pastor and his leadership being the ones that lead and guide and they're everything in the church and everybody sort of works towards supporting them, is not a model that we see in the Bible. The body is not made up that way. Each part of your own bodies is equally important to the other. So even though you may see the face, you're looking at my face speaking, but the reason I can do this is because my lungs are giving me air. You don't see my lungs. Hopefully, you don't see my lungs. <laughs> but now, right now, my lungs is what is enabling me for you to see me speaking right now. Okay? So my lungs are equally as important than my face and my voice that you're seeing right now. So it is in the body of Christ. And the church is supposed to be a place where each single individual members can come and exercise whatever gift God has given you to support the body and the church. If only there's only one gift being exercised all the time, then you're not going to have a functioning body. That's our problem. We don't have a functioning body because we've grown accustomed to this system that the person who speaks and who teaches or who preaches or certain different people are the ones that everybody thinks, you know, they're the leaders, they're the ones who make things happen. That's not the case at all. Continuing, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, the Apostle Paul says this, He, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he may come to have first place in everything. Our only authority, our number one authority, is Jesus Christ. To him we owe submission and honor, and to him each individual member will answer to. We answer each one of us individually, ultimately, to Christ. Notice how the individuality of each member is maintained for the good of the collective. Each individual member is given an individual gift for them to use to glorify God and Christ for the sake of the body. But each individual member is responsible and in answers to God alone, you don't answer to anybody else, you don't answer to your pastor, you don't answer to Pastor Bolden, he's not here, but I'm sure he'll agree. You don't answer to me, you don't answer to anybody, you will answer finally, ultimately to God, to Jesus Christ. And you're responsible and you have a duty to Christ and to each member to exercise your gifts for the good of the body. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking truth in love, we are to grow up in every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined together and held together by every joint 
with which it is equipped when each part is working properly it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up to love. In order for the body to grow, each part needs to work properly. In order for the body of Christ to work, each part needs to work properly. Each gift that God has given to each member needs to be exercised. Now, in our day, this is like, okay, fine. But in their day, this was pretty unbelievable. Because what Paul is saying is that each member of this body has a gift from God that he needs to exercise. Well, the members of the body of Christ include men, women, slave, free, Jew, and Greek. And so Paul is saying, if you are a woman, which in their culture is unheard of, you have a gift that you have a duty to exercise and you're equally important member of the body of Christ as any other man that you see walking around. In their day, that was completely revolutionary. If you're a Gentile or a Greek, the same thing. If you're a slave, the same thing. If you're a free man, it's the same thing. And Paul is going to go on to say that you need to serve one another. So if you are a Jew, you need to serve your female Greek fellow member of the body. Unheard of in their culture. Even in our day in some places, unheard of. And so women, slaves, free men, Gentiles have equal standing in the body of Christ as anybody else and is responsible to serve one another and to exercise their gifting. We can never attain unto maturity with only one member exercising his gift, mainly preaching or teaching. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So to each one of us, some manifestations of some gift is given for the common good. And they were equally as important, all of them, because the Spirit is the one who gives the gifts as he sees fit. So, Carlos has a gift, you have a gift, you have a gift, you have a gift. He's over there with some gift going. We all have gifts that we owe to each other to exercise, and they're equally as important. In fact, if you look at Acts chapter 6, there's a funny story in Acts chapter 6. Let me read the introduction, I'll explain. He says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews about their widows being neglected in the daily distribution. Okay, so here's what this means. I don't know what translations you all have, but Hellenists, some of them say uh, Grecians. Basically, the Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews. And the Hebrews were Hebrew-speaking Jews. So the, the Hebrew-speaking Jews were the Jews from Israel, okay? And then the Hellenists were like sort of like, a, a, like the New Yorkans. Then you got New Yorkans. A New Yorkan is just a Puerto Rican born in the United States who has more American culture. And then you have the Hebrews or like the ones from Israel. And there's always that little thing, you know, I'm the real right? I'm the real thing. You're from over there. There's always that. So apparently what's happening is 
the Hebrews are distributing the food amongst themselves and they're leaving out the Hellenist widows. So there's a complaint that happens. So the complaint is brought up, okay? Um, the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, and we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So what happens is a complaint is happening. The widows are going without food. And then the Hebrew widows are getting all the food. So there's a complaint happening. So they bring up the complaint to the apostles. They say, well, let's go up to the apostles. And they're going to help us distribute this food properly. And the apostles say to them, no, you find people from among yourselves to do this work because we have this other work to do. So you need to find yourself people who are of good repute, who are filled with the spirit to do this duty, okay? And then we are gonna devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. When, and what they said pleased the whole gathering and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, and these they said before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So they got into this situation where there was strife and division happening. They go up to the apostles to fix it. And the apostles were like, no, you can fix it too. We're not here. We're not like the, the only source, right? You amongst yourself find yourself some men. Notice what he says. They're filled with the spirit. They're of good repute and obedient to do what? To preach? No, to serve the tables. When they did this, and after they did this, in verse 7, the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Serving the tables enabled the word of God to continue to increase all throughout Jerusalem. Why? Because serving the tables was just as important as it was the preaching of the word. And I love it how they went up to disciples, think, you know, like hey, back in the day, everybody went to Moses. You read the Acts, everybody. Moses used to sit for hours in a chair listening to every complaint in Israel. This guy took my spoon. That was my spoon. I found it over there. I left her over there, but, it, but it's mine. I have my initials on it. And Moses had to sit here. The apostles said, no. You have the same spirit that we do. You can take care of the situation. Pick from among you men. And they chose the man and the word of God increased. Equally as important was the serving on the tables and distributing the food properly. Because it created a witness that these people here don't play favoritism. If you go to them, you're going to get the food that you need to get. They don't play favoritism. They treat everybody equally. And the word of God increased and God kept adding to the church. So Jesus and his body 
does away with any system of hierarchy. Each member is equally important. Even so, if you go to Matthew chapter 18, Jesus speaks about a situation and it reveals to us how he wants his church to work. And in Matthew 18, he says this, If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, if you notice how Jesus deals with sin in the church, here's the process. Say, if Carlos does something to me, that is bad. I don't know. I'm walking around. Carlos walks up behind me, punches me in the back of the head. Okay. Just for whatever. Okay. According to the process, I don't go to Pastor Olu and be like, hey, Carlos done punched me in the back of the head. You need to kick him out or whatever. You first go to Carlos. I go to Carlos and say, hey, he punched me in the back of the head. That was a sin or whatnot. And if Carlos repents and says, my bad, you know, I thought you were Stephen, my bad, and he repents, it stays with me and him. It doesn't go to anybody else because nobody else needs to know anything. It's between me and him. If he doesn't listen, then I can go and get Stephen and bring Stephen with me and I have two witnesses. And if Carlos repents, then it stays between the three of us. Nobody else needs to know. Notice there is no pastor or priest being brought up yet in this situation. Okay? If Carlos doesn't listen, then I tell it to the church. The whole church. And then the church, if, if he still doesn't repent, then the church makes the decision to take him out of the congregation. Notice how... The process here does not bring any type of priest, pastor, or anything. You begin with your fellow member who has equal standing with you. If he sins against you, you tell it to him. If he repents, it's all done deal. It's between you two. Nobody has to know. It's nobody's business. But by doing this, you see how the hierarchy of the body does not exist and how everybody is in equal standing, because if it gets to the point that it's brought up before the church, maybe, and just maybe, Carlos didn't sin against me. Maybe I'm wrong, and the church may say, we think Carlos is right. We don't think he did anything wrong against you. Maybe you're the one who messed up. You see what I mean? There is no such thing as going to some leader, telling it to the leader, and have people get kicked out without nobody knowing. Why did he got kicked out? Oh, we don't know. I guess he did something wrong. No, that's not in the Bible. That's hierarchy. That is a system of authority where you have a CEO that lays off people for no reason and nobody knows. In the body of Christ, Jesus says, let that not be so among you. But each member has equal standing. And so in the body of Christ... Each member, Pastor Olu, 
is Pastor Olu. He has a calling to shepherd the flock. That doesn't make him better than any of us. He's not in a higher standing in the body of Christ than we are. He's in an equal standing as the rest of us. As simple as that. That is the body of Christ. There is no hierarchy. Okay? Furthermore, we are to serve one another in love. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. The constant message of Paul is that the church is to serve one another and to honor one another. This is the hierarchy of the kingdom of God. If you want to be great, you must serve. The way to leadership in the kingdom of God is through service and not forceful authority. That's for pagans. Remember that. Furthermore, the reason why we serve one another, and this is not mine, I forgot the preacher who said this, so if, he list, if he's listening, my bad. I didn't give you credit. But I heard a preacher said this, not everything that God has for you will be received directly from him. In other words, not everything that God has for you, you're going to get directly from God. Eventually, all things come from God. Eventually. But the things that God, many things that God may have from you, I may have them. Carlos may have them. Lito may have them, or LOS, my bad. Tally may have Because all of us have gifts to serve one another. So it may be that the thing that you're praying for, God, I'm starting a business, I need this, I need that, I need that. God is going to give them to you, but he can't give them to you because Carlos has them and he's holding them all, all to himself. And so when we serve one another... We receive from one another the things that God wants to give us because all that we have comes from God eventually. And so um, all things come from God eventually, but not all things come from God directly. So this is why we must serve one another with the gifts that God has given us. So each of us here have a gift Whatever your gift may be, you have to find what your gift may be. Some of you are good at some things at others, and some of you, even in secular means, some of you are entrepreneurs, some of you are this and that, and there may be things that you need that you're praying and you're asking for God to give you, and those things are probably found within the place or the body, the local fellowship that God has placed you in. And a lot of you have seen that. Sometimes you're praying, God, I need this. I need a door open for something. And boom, out of nowhere, a brother in Christ shows up and says, hey, yeah, I got that. That's God answering your prayer. And as we serve one another, we receive from one another the things that God has from us. As the apostles received from the seven that were picked to serve the tables, that was God answering their prayer to increase their ministry. Their ministry was not going to increase if you had these strife going on. This strife was fixed and the ministry increased. God gave them what they needed through these seven brothers that were willing to use their gifts to serve. As simple as 
serving tables, okay? So, some of you are entrepreneurs and starting businesses and you're praying that God gives you this and that. He's not going to drop stuff on a parachute from a helicopter. Maybe what you need is something your brother, fellow member in Christ has, which is why it's our duty to serve one another. Finally, because we're running late, Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and all had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous heart, praising God and having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They all served one another. They distributed the goods and provided for one another as much as they could. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you need to be a servant. Notice how they all had all things in common. They provided from each other's needs. Nobody went hungry. Nobody, you know, all their needs were taken care of by all the other members of the body. As a result of that, the Lord added to them those who were being saved. And so the preaching of the gospel, as important as that is, needs to be sustained by a body of believers who are serving one another. And when they do that, God will add to their numbers those who are being saved. Serving is how you grow. If you're not serving, you're not going to grow. And so as a church, we need to serve one another. In the church, nobody's more important. Nobody's untouchable. We all serve each other equally. And as we do that, the kingdom of God increases. And that's not only locally. That's also with our fellow brothers around us. I mean, what is the number one reason why people don't like church? All Because they're money hungry. All those televangelists, all they want is money. They don't give money. That's a legit criticism that people who don't go to church have. Because our churches have become money vacuums. You siphon money in that goes up to a building. In the body of Christ, the money that comes in or any goods that come in is to serve the people and the congregation. And when that is done, the kingdom of God increases. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. I'll probably end it here. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of the others. The Apostle Paul is commanding the church of Philippi to serve one another, to not be selfish in ambition or conceit, but to count yourself less significant than others and put others ahead of you. And let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests 
of other. Now, he doesn't cross out the fact that some people may look, you know, obviously you want a house, you want food in your table, you want to work, but not only live for that, but also for the interests of others. That is the command of the church because we are a body and the body of Christ has members and the members are dependent from each other and they're of equal value, even the ones that we don't see even the ones that we don't uh, necessarily would think that they're respectable, Paul says, give them more respect than the ones that you hold more respectable. So that way there's no impartiality. Everybody stands in an equal standing because in the body of Christ, we are all priests. That's what Peter says. You are a royal priest. In the Old Testament, the priest was the only person who had access to God. And everybody had to hover around and wait for the priest to go and speak with God. In the New Testament, every believer is a priest. And every believer has direct access to God. So if you're a believer, you're a priest. If you're a woman and you're a believer, you're a priest. If your husband tells you, I'm the priest in this home, you can tell him, so am I. That's what Peter says. We're all priests. And we all have equal access to God. Direct access to the Lord of heaven through Jesus Christ. And as priests, we are a kingdom of priests to God. We're all in equal standing and we all serve one another equally. And when we do that, the kingdom of God will increase and we will have a witness. Notice that in the early church in the book of Acts, it says that the, uh, in fact, let me read it here. Praising God and having favor with all the people. So all the people around them who's looking at these group of folks serving one another and providing from each other, they were praising them. They were like, who are these folks? And we've never seen this before in the history of the world, these people taking care of each other in this way. And they were inquiring, they were coming, and they were receiving the gospel, and they were getting converted, and God was adding them to the church. Because everybody was seeing what they were doing. They had favor with the people in the surrounding areas. And so... We, the church, are the body of Christ. This is how we need to operate. And we're always going to have the temptation to build ourselves CEOs and kings and people to be underneath. That's going to be always the temptation. But we need to fight temptation and tradition and go back to the simple church of the New Testament where each member is of importance has direct access to God, and has a gift that is just as important as any other gift, and it is your duty and your responsibility. It's easier to just go to church on Sunday and sit there and let the professionals handle everything, and then we just pay our ticket through our thighs and go home. That's easier. But in the New Testament, that's not the way it is. So the New Testament church is a non-hierarchical, organic body of believers who are headed by Jesus Christ himself. It is the assembly, the ecclesia, and the fulfillment of God's plan from all eternity. That's how we are supposed to be, and that's who we need to pray and ask God for the grace for us to become. So I'm going to finish there. I'll continue next time. This would be the, my introduction to the doctrine of the church. All right, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your scriptures. We thank you, Lord, that you 
our head and our authority, Lord. We thank you that you have given us access to your throne directly uh, without any man in between, without any priest that we need, Lord, between us and you. But we have direct access to you by your blood and by your sacrifice, Lord. We pray that you may help us uh, live up uh, to who we are supposed to be in you, Lord. We pray that you may help us find more of our gifts and more of our uh, talents and roles that you've given us to serve one another. And as we do that, Lord, we pray that you may help us grow, um, not only in numbers, but also in maturity and, and in grace, Lord. And I pray and I thank you for all you've done so far with our church and with our lives. And we pray and we ask that you may help us and guide us in the future. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. If you'd like more information about Followers of the Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly, so remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way.